Good morning. It's good to see all of you uh, here this morning. There are some folks coming down the aisles with Bibles in their hands. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us, get their attention. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today, and if you don't know where to find things in the Bible, that's okay. Uh, it is marked for you in Romans 8 at just at the spot where uh, we are going to be spending some time in God's Word today. I want to just uh, say how good it is to, uh, to be with you. Got to spend some time with some of you last night at uh, a little thing that we had here at, uh, at the uh, ministry center, and it was good to be able to talk with you a little bit more than I get to talk with you on Sunday mornings when we visit, because those things, it's usually from one thing to the next to the next. And so it's been good to be able to spend a little bit more time with you. Also, uh, try to do this every time uh, I come here, but I want to express my thanks to many of you who were here uh, when we were here. It's been eight years now, uh, which is, uh, feels like a really long time, and yet whenever we come back here, it always feels like home. Uh, but I always like to express my thanks for some very formative years in my life. Uh, I was uh, all ready to get going, and uh, God pumped the brakes on me quite a bit, had me slow down, stay here, and there were so many things that I learned in my time here that continue to influence me to this day through Pastor Ken, some of the other leaders here, and through you, so I'm very thankful for you. Our church, uh, just to give you a very brief update, is, uh, is going reasonably well. It's been, uh, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a few couple years that we've all been through together, and every church has gone through whatever it is that we've gone through, um, but we're still together and still somewhat in our right minds. And uh, it's good to see that your church is moving forward. Our church is moving forward. I think I preached here something like three years ago, and uh, probably three-ish years ago, I, I have the present and I have the past, and the past is a large category that encompasses anything at any time. Feels like maybe it was three years ago, and I was talking about our building project and how exciting I was that it was happening, and then all of a sudden that building project wasn't happening. And so the building project is actually for real happening now. Um, we're hoping to be able to move into our new auditorium in the mid to late fall of this year, and so we're, we're thankful to see, uh, see that happen for us because we've been in two services for two years now, and we would very much like to collapse back to one service, so we're, going to, uh, we're looking forward to that. The other thing I just wanted to, to thank you for is to thank you for the prayers for our family. Uh, is Erica, my wife, for those of you who don't know us, and there's probably lots of you who don't know us now, but uh, my wife has uh, battled cancer last year, and uh, I would say the last year and a half, two years have been some of the most difficult, uh, challenging years of our lives, and uh, God is, has been showing us grace through those things, and we have been trying to grow through these experiences, seeing what God has, us, has for us in these experiences. And I know that many of you have reached out to us in a variety of ways, and even more of you have probably prayed for us at one time or another, and we just want to tell you how thankful we are uh, for the body of Christ here supporting us in that way. All right, if you want to be in Romans 8, you've had time to get there. Romans chapter 8, we'll get to uh, the, the verses that I want to read for us in just a few moments, but... In Romans chapter 8, the, the Bible makes a bold promise. 
In fact, this promise is so bold, so brazen, you might say so audacious of a promise that you would, you would never make a promise like this unless it could be backed up. It's a promise that many followers of Jesus have clung to in some of the darkest nights that they have gone through in their lives, and they've done this for centuries. That statement is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, which, if you have any familiarity with the Bible at all, is a verse that you have probably committed to memory. It's a verse that you have probably heard many sermons preached on, and I want to add another to that stack, because we never need to stop hearing this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now I want you just for a moment to think about all the, the things all the life experiences that fall under the category all things. There are all kinds of things that we can, with a little bit of, of looking and a little bit of examination, we can figure out how this kind of situation could turn out for good. You might call these things the, when life gives you lemon, make lemonade, lemons make lemonades kinds of experiences. So we've all had those experiences where the job that we've really, really wanted, we didn't get. And that leads us to another job or another career. And then once we have that, we look back and say, that thing that I wanted so much and I thought was the only thing that I needed, if I had actually gotten that thing, I would not have had this. Or maybe it's the breakup that you go through, that loss of, of relationship. But if, if you hadn't gone through that, you wouldn't have found this person. There are all sorts of experiences where we can fairly easily see with a, a little bit of distance between us and that difficult circumstance, we can see how God turned that thing out for good. But... Every single one of us probably have, has had things in our lives where we can't even see why God would allow it in the first place, much less use it to accomplish good. There are times, there are circumstances where we can't see the path to good and there are losses that we take as we travel through life that can't be recovered on this side of paradise. There are people you lose that you can't get back, can't be replaced. So we want to go back to that verse and see if maybe there's an asterisk there. Maybe there's a footnote. Maybe there's something in, in fine print here that I can find that gives me the exception to that really broad category of all things. But there is no asterisk. There is no foot, uh, footnote. There is no fine print. So that might leave us scratching our heads. Does the Bible know 
that I could have experienced this. But the Bible gives us this promise in the context of deep suffering. Okay, if, you've, if you've got your Bible open there, then you probably have a heading over this section that says something like present suffering. And in fact, the Apostle Paul who wrote this as he's, as he's going through Romans chapter 8 says things like this. It says the, the whole creation is groaning and we're groaning along with it as we await the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of ourselves, the, the full realization of everything that Christ has accomplished for us. So, so this verse isn't tacked on to some little thing. It, it's, it's, it's in the context of, of deep, groaning kind of suffering. So while there is much love and joy and hope to be had in life, these verses make it clear that we are still awaiting full redemption, that just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we get a magic get-out-of-trials card that just helps us skate through life without the hurts and without the pain. But the redemption of ourselves that we are going to experience is certain because God is in charge of the whole process, the Bible tells us, from the very beginning until the very end. The Bible goes on to say this in verse 29, if you're there. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. God works all things together for good because He has bound His people to Himself with, with something that an author named William Perkins, writing almost 500 years ago, referred to as a golden chain. And this golden chain of Christ's work reaches all the way into eternity past before a molecule was created and binds us to Himself, stretching all the way into eternity future so that we are inseparably bound to Christ in a way that cannot be broken. Every link in this golden chain is an act of God, not an act of us. It begins with God's act of foreknowing. And in foreknowledge, God is, God is not just knowing things that happen ahead of time, as amazing as that would be for God to just know everything that was going to happen, but God's foreknowledge is more than His being aware of the future. God's foreknowledge is related to His direction under His sovereign hand of the future. It is His choice to know and set His love upon His people before anything was created. The second link in that chain is his act of predestination, whereby he designs a destiny of grace for those whom he loves. The third link in that chain is an act of calling, whereby God awakens us from spiritual death and brings us into spiritual life and calls us to himself so that our eyes are open to see the depths of our sin and the beauty of Christ. The fourth link in that chain is 
justification. Justification is what Martin Luther called the glorious exchange. We bring our sins and our guilt and our shame to Christ, and in exchange for all of that, He gives us His righteousness. In justification, God considers or counts us righteous because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the fifth link in this golden chain that binds us to Him is glorification. And glorification, which is the full realization, is still in the future. It is described in our text as being already complete. In glorification, God intends to transform us. God intends to transform you, body and soul, into the image of Jesus Christ. You may not be able to see it, but one day you are going to be completely like Jesus, because that has been God's plan from the very beginning. It is this golden chain which gives us hope in the midst of deep suffering. If you can believe it or not, that was all the introduction. I hope some of you packed a lunch. So if all that's true, if, if God really is able to work all things, and that's an expansive, all-encompassing category, if God is able to work all things for good, if He has bound, himself to, bound us to Himself with this golden chain of His work, then the Bible wants to ask you four questions in the verses that follow that are meant to be, an encouraging, uh, meant to, be encouraging to you. Four questions. If you belong to Jesus… The answer that ought, ought to be encouraging to you from, these te- from this text. So here's the first question. If it's true that God works all things together for good, then question number one, who can be against you? Who can be against you? That's what Romans 8.31 says. What then shall we say in response to these things, if these things are all true? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let's start with the obvious, an- uh, the obvious answer. Lots of people, actually. Lots of people can be against us. There are Christians in other parts of the world who would say that there are indeed many people who are most assuredly against them. In fact, examples could be multiplied both great and small perhaps even in your own life, of people who stand against you. So what this verse is not telling us is that as followers of Jesus, we are not going to experience opposition. The verse can't be telling us that because Jesus actually told us the opposite. He said sometimes following Jesus invites opposition. But all of us have people in our lives who seem like obstacles to God's purposes for us, right? And we often frame this verse solely in the the context of persecution and think, okay, if I don't have anybody standing over me with a sword of some kind, then, then this verse is not for me. But all of us 
have people in our lives, in fact, that person might be coming to, to mind for you right now, you think, is, is, a, is, a, is in the way of you becoming all that you ought to be in Christ. Maybe it's a spouse that you feel is holding you back. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's an adversarial relationship with somebody in your life. Maybe it's a a, a father or a mother. Maybe it's something at work. I don't know what it is, but all of us have people in our lives who seem like obstacles. Like, I would be so much further along in my Christian life if this person wasn't here. The Bible invites us to ask the question, what if that person is not actually an obstacle like we've always thought they were? In fact, what if God intends to use that person or those people to accomplish His very purposes in us of making us like Christ? And how would it revolutionize the way we think about that situation if we saw it through that lens? No, these verses are not telling us that we aren't going to experience opposition as followers of Jesus. What this verse is telling us is that no one will ultimately be able to successfully thwart God's plans for good in your life. That person is not blocking you from receiving God's good. They can't, they won't. God can use even them to conform you to the image of Christ. There's a second question that we want to ask. If it's true that God indeed does work all things together for good, then the second question the Bible asks is this, what wouldn't God give you? What wouldn't God give you? Look with me at verse 32. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? One of the things that makes us question whether God is really working all things for our good is the perception that God is sometimes withholding good from us. I mean, this is something that we as Christians always wrestle with, the idea of an omnipotent, all-powerful God who is all good, who has the power to give us something that we desire, and yet with all of His power to give us something that we desperately desire, sometimes withholds it. And so it, it causes us sometimes to question, and if it is, God, it is within God's power to give and He withholds, does that mean that He is not good? All of us have had things that we have desperately prayed for, where it feels like God didn't deliver, Right? That healing that you prayed for, that you believed for, and God didn't give it. 
causes us to question God sometimes. But the Bible in turn asks us a question. If God gave us His own Son to bear our sin and our guilt and our shame on the cross, even though He was completely innocent, then what's anything else after that? Will He not also with Him freely give us all things? And that freely giving of all things is not everything we could ever ask for, but everything we need. If God has given us the biggest and the greatest and the most precious and the best, what's anything after that? Jeff Bezos, the the founder of Amazon, is one of the richest people in the world right now. The stats of how wealthy he is are, are, are staggering. He makes $3,715 a second. That's better than my hourly rate. $325 million a day. $2.25 billion a week. billion a month. People who calculate weird things for a living, apparently that's a job, have estimated that if he never earned another penny and he spent a million dollars a day, it would take him almost six centuries to run out of money. That's a lot. Now imagine that you are close friends with Jeff Bezos, and that's going to require a lot of imagining. But imagine that you are, and Jeff says, you know what, I want to fly you and a hundred of your friends to an island that I own on my private jet to have a party. I'm going to pay for any, everything, and if you, do, if you need anything, just call me, and I'll make sure it's there. And so you get on the private jet and you fly to the island and you ha- you're having a-, a great time until you run out of paper plates because it's a paper plate kind of party even though it's Jeff Bezos and he makes a billion dollars a month. And you're agonizing over the phone. You know he told you you could call and ask that, that he'll give you whatever you need, but you're agonizing over it. And in the seconds that you were agonizing over it, he made a billion dollars. See, the argument that the Bible is making here is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God would give you this, then certainly He'll give you anything else you need after that. From His wealth and from His grace and from His love, if God hasn't spared His own Son, then He will certainly give you whatever it is that you need to get to your ultimate destination, which is your glorification, your conformity to the image of Jesus, your experiencing the blessings that God has prepared for you for all eternity. Which means that when we don't get what we want, or when we don't get what we think we need, it isn't an indication that God is stingy or that He isn't listening or that He doesn't have our best interests in mind. Because the Bible assures us that He will never keep anything good from us. 
that will accomplish His ultimate purposes in us. When He withholds, and He withholds, it always ends in good. The third question, if it's true that God is working all things together for good, then who could condemn you? Who could condemn you? Look at verse 33. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. One of the reasons we suspect that God might not, that we might be the exception to the rule, that God might be working everything out for good for everyone else that we see, but somehow He's missed us. One of the reasons that we suspect that things might not work out for good as we believe the lie that God is somehow against us. That there's something that we've done somewhere along the path that's caused us in some way to fall out of God's good graces. And so when we are experiencing pain and when we are experiencing difficulty and trial, one of the first questions we ask is, what did I do? So we start tracking through the weeks and the months and trying to figure out where did I misstep that I fell out of God's favor this badly that this has come into my life. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. There's a little book called The Gospel-Centered Life. And in The Gospel-Centered Life, the authors pose this question that I want you to actually answer in your mind right now when I read the, the question to you, okay? They ask this question, as God thinks of you right now, what is the look on His face? I want you to answer that question in your mind. As God thinks of you, as you, as you think about God looking at you right now, what is the look on his face. They go on to say this, do you picture God as disappointed, angry, indifferent? Does his face say, get your act together? Or if only you could do a little more for me. If you imagine God is anything but satisfied because of what Jesus has done for you, you have fallen into a performance mindset. For me, I'll answer it out loud for me to you. Oftentimes when I imagine God's face as He looks at me, the, the look on His face is disappointment. Like, I know He loves me, but he's, he's standing there like, really? This is the best you are now? All the things we've done, and this is where we're at. 
That's often how I imagine God's face as it looks at me. But Romans chapter 8 that we've been tracking through and that talks about this, this context of deep suffering starts with an opening salvo that we have to believe. And the opening salvo of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why would God condemn us now when His whole purpose for us from the very beginning of eternity past, if you can speak about a beginning of eternity past, has been to acquit us at His own expense? Think about how ludicrous that thought is when you frame it within the larger context of God's plan stretching all the way into eternity before anything was created. Now, when we hear this question, we think, who could condemn you? We can think of condemning voices in our lives, people that have exercised that sort of, of, of voice into our heads and into our hearts. We think about Satan and his, his walking around like a roaring lion and seeking who he can, he can devour. We know that, we, we know that he is acu- he's the accuser of the brethren, but man, no prosecuting attorney is better than you when you stand before God and think, well, this doesn't apply to me and this doesn't apply to me. I mean, we are the best prosecutors in the world. But who could condemn you when the resurrected Christ is your attorney? Who could condemn you when the perfectly just God is your judge? No charge can ever stick because your sins have been forgiven at the cross and you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And friends, the work of Christ is sufficient. You don't need to add a thing, nor can you. How would it change your life if you lived like a person who had received the verdict, not guilty, and believed it? There's a fourth and final question that I want us to ask that I hope will encourage you This morning, if God works all things for good, then what could separate you from Him? Look with me at verse 35 again. The Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's connected 
This idea of the love of God is connected to what we saw in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And some of us may read that verse and say, oh, there's the catch. He works for the good of those who love him. And if I'm going to be honest, my love is often cold or tepid. What happens if I don't love God the way I should? Because none of us do. None of us love God as we should on our best days. It's then we have to remember this important truth from 1 John 4 and verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Our love is a response to His love. His working all things for good is not a response to our love, and His promise to do so is not contingent upon or dependent upon the strength of our love, which means that nothing and no one can separate you from God's good and loving intentions for your life. I have a friend who was estranged from his mother for many years, in fact, into most of his adult life, way up into his late 30s. His mother had moved away. His sister had gone with her when she was just a baby, and he had had no contact with her, did not even know where she was, and, and, and believed that his mother wanted nothing to do with him. And so he lived with that pain as a a child and growing up into his adult years. Then, in his late 30s, he made contact with his mother. He found out that everything that he had been told about her was actually a lie, told to him by his father. His mother had not left him with his sister and chosen her over him, His father had hidden him from his mother so his mother could not take him when they were divorced. His father had had filled his head with all sorts of things that his mother had said about him, that she didn't want to be with him, and he, he found out later in life that all of this was untrue. His father, totally unbeknownst to him, had separated him from half a lifetime of his mother's love. The Bible assures us, though, that nothing, nothing can separate you from your father's love. No one can drive a wedge between him and you. Not even your own failures and shortcomings and sins and cold heart of love can draw a wedge between you and your father. In fact, verse 35 tells us how strong God's bonds of love are around us. The Bible doesn't promise that we aren't going to go through life 
suffering free. The Bible never makes those promises to us. The Bible doesn't promise that we aren't going to experience tribulation. The Bible doesn't promise that we aren't going to experience distress. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't experience persecution. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't experience famine or weakness. The Bible doesn't promise we won't experience nakedness, a Bible way of speaking of being destitute. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't experience danger. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't experience the sword or that we won't experience death. We may well experience any number of those things. What the Bible does promise is that love, in the end, is going to win. Verses 35 to 39 are bracketed by love. What the Bible does promise is that even those, though any number of those things may in fact happen, don't draw the conclusion that any of those things can thwart God's purposes for you, which are firm and steadfast and secure. What the Bible tells us is that we aren't just conquerors. The Bible actually says we are more than conquerors. And when the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, it's trying to tell us that we aren't going to win by a Hail Mary in the last seconds. We aren't going to win by a last second bank shot from half court. We aren't going to win by a buzzer beater as time expires. We are going to win with Christ in a landslide that was never even close. It just felt close. God had it under control the whole time because remember, you are bound to Him if you're a follower of Jesus by that golden chain that goes far, much further back than the moment of your conversion. That golden chain stretches all the way into God's purposes to know and commit His covenantal love for you before you even existed. One reason we can't be separated from God's love is because God's love is an active choice. When I say that, that doesn't mean that God just chooses to love us that it's in a mechanical way that He doesn't feel because that's not true. But God's love is an active choice. God didn't fall in love with us and He's not going to fall out of love with us. We love Him because we were called He calls us because He loves. God's love is initiation. Our love is response. So do you really think something in the here and now, in the blip of your existence, could separate you from God's purposes designed from eternity past? I hope the answers to those four questions, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I hope those things encourage you. If you're with us today and you are not a follower of Christ, do you want that kind of security? Do you feel with the rest of us the brokenness and uncertainty of the world? I mean, 
We feel the brokenness and uncertainty of the world now more than we did five years ago. When everything is supposed to be moving forward and we're supposed to be getting safer and more future-proof, it feels like sometimes we're going the other direction. Do you feel the weight and burden of your own sin before God? We want you to know, if that describes you, that God has made a way through Christ for your sins to be forgiven. God has made a way for you to have hope. God has made a way for you to find rest, and that way is through Christ. God the Father freely gave His Son to stand in our place be crucified on a cross for our sins, for our guilt, and our shame, so that we could be participants in the glorious exchange whereby we give Him our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And you can be saved where you're sitting right now if you will repent of your sins and turn in faith and trust to Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, All things do, in fact, work together for our good, because God has bound us to Himself with a golden chain that cannot be broken. Well, amen to that, and thank you, Pastor Matt, for being with us. Thank you for giving those great encouragements from God's Word. And if you're able to, with all the logistical stuff that we're going to have going on uh, between services, get to Pastor Matt and Erica and their family and thank them for being with us, then do that. But there's going to be a lot that is going on. Am I supposed to announce that uh, everybody needs to clear out? You're going to do it? Okay. Uh, So we're going to have our closing song in just a moment. The musicians can come on up. But before we do that, we have a couple of uh, families that are looking to join with us in membership. So if you guys will come on up, I'll introduce them. So you may remember a couple of weeks ago that uh, James and Erica Donovan joined our church. And when I introduced them, I said that they, at the beginning of this year, earlier this year, they found themselves... Uh, looking for a church. They found us through the recommendation of a friend. Uh, well, the friend is on my left. That would be uh, John. And John and Joe, and I'll introduce their wives in a moment, and then James and Erica, all toward the beginning of this year, found themselves uh, needing a church. And in God's good providence, John was told about us. He and Amy came in February and visited. They invited Joe and James and their wives the following uh, week, and they've been coming every week since. In God's providence as well, we were doing our four-week newcomers orientation at that time, so they were able to take that class, find out about our church, and they've determined that God has brought them here to uh, serve and grow, and we're delighted that, that he has. So this is, this is uh, John Jones and Amy Jones, and they have two little ones, six and three. Uh, all right, six and three. And this is Joe and Hannah Dunn. And they have three. They have two toddler-age twins and an infant. So pray, pray for them. (laughs) (laughs) 
we're thrilled that uh, these guys are here and we have heard their testimony of salvation and uh, their, uh, the fact that they've been baptized, they've signed our membership covenant. So we're gonna vote them into membership as couples. Just a very quick thing, this is kind of a formality that may confuse folks as we have, uh, have you join. We, the leadership team, interview them, we hear all this stuff and then we have you vote on it. Um, and then we say any opposed no. Uh, there's never been anybody who's said no. And we hope that'll continue to be the case. Especially today for you guys, right? <laughs> but just, just very quickly, if there was, we do that though for a good reason. That, you know, there's sometimes people who have things in their past that might prevent them from joining a church. And that's why you ask that. And there might be people in the congregation who know that. However, generally that would have come up before we got here because folks have been here for months and they would have approached us about that. Okay, so just a quick word of explanation. All in favor of receiving uh, John and Amy Jones into our membership, signify by saying amen. Amen. Any opposed? Say no. All right, and all in favor of receiving Joe and Hannah Dunn into our membership, say amen. Amen. Any opposed? All right, very good. Very glad you guys are here. Let's stand now for our closing song. But Pastor Larry, you're going to give some instructions right now? After the song. All right, let's stand for our song.